Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Getting close to uh, the end of our journey through the Gospel of Mark here. Um, I heard a word on the street this this week that uh, Pastor Bowser was the was a was a pastor here in the eighties that used to go through the take, take nice slow walks to post the Bible. So uh, shout out to Pastor Bowser and his ministry from the from the eighties. Uh, it's been good for me to soak in this gospel. We framed our journey through uh, the the Gospel of Mark around a question. Uh, which the same question that Jesus asked his disciples right in the middle of the book, which is, who do you say that I am? That is the question that Mark has set out to answer, uh, help us answer for ourselves, who you and I say that Jesus is. And uh, it's a little bit of dramatic irony because he tells us the answer, at least according to, uh, to Mark, which is right in verse 1 of chapter 1, at uh, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Son of God. So that's, that's the opening line. That's the one-line intro. So we know from the beginning what, what Mark is proposing. But then he takes us back to the beginning, the humble beginnings of Jesus' ministry here on earth. It's like where, if you've ever seen a movie that starts with, like, you know, the main character getting out of a limo and walking down the red carpet, you know, lined by screaming fans and stuff like that. And then the voiceover says, but my life always has been this way. You know, it cuts to him getting like beat up in high school or, or something like that. It's like the idea of like it starts with Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, and then he's just a nobody from Nazareth starting out with his ministry. And chapter by chapter, we see Jesus doing things throughout the Gospel of Mark that begin to build a case to, to, to explain how Jesus Messiah and the Son of God. Um, he, he's with all authority. He calls people uh, to follow him with no shame, no qualifying, and just drop your nets and follow me. Learn to set up your life to, to be like me, to be like my life. Set up about what uh, to, to say yes to my agenda and lay down your agenda. And about halfway through, after all kinds of of miracles, the disciples who had laid down their nets had left tax collector booths and resurgent terrorist cells in order to follow Jesus, who had seen him do and say amazing things like raise the dead, heal the blind, calm a roaring hurricane. Right in the middle of chapter 8 uh, out of 16, Jesus says this, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Peter, speaking for the group, gives the right answer. Hooray, but then Jesus says, don't tell anyone, which is strange, but that's because it's only chapter 8 out of 16, it's only half of the story, half of the evidence about what kind of king, what kind of messiah Jesus is like. Peter, kind of speaking for the group, has only seen half of what defines Jesus' life and ministry, but what kind of kingdom he's coming to establish. We call the first half of the series, Follow the King, which is the overwhelming emphasis of Mark in the first half, where Jesus is the king with authority who calls people to follow. And the second half of the series, we're calling King's Cross, 
because you cannot understand Jesus as king, what kind of king he is, what he does with his authority, if you don't understand the cross. Uh, so starting in the middle of chapter 8, the tone of Mark's biography gets darker and darker. I the pictures up. Yeah. Do you see? You know, when we first made that, that logo on the right, someone said, it's too dark, you can barely see it. And that's like kind of the point. Like it, will, it takes a dark turn here, the second half of the Gospel of Mark. A little weird, getting ready for Thanksgiving and Christmas, these cozy holiday, you know, turkey and pumpkin pie and all that stuff while we're talking about the cross. Uh, so that's a little weird. Uh, but the, the cross, I think, is honestly hard to meditate on no matter what time of year. Uh, and this is a sad text because we see Jesus tried uh, like, a, like a guilty man in an unfair way, and he just seemed to not by his closest friend. And the, these texts uh, here point to some of the darkest time that Jesus experienced on earth. They show us two things. The first is a positive one, it's that Jesus knows suffering. It is an unbelievable standard right, that we can blow over if we've been in church a long time. Like we worship and follow a king who suffered, who, who knows suffering, who suffered more than, than most of us, maybe all of us. But he's an empathetic king, a God who suffers, knows what it's like to be human in a world surrounded by other humans. He did not stay high and lofty, untouchable in his power. But in his power and glory, he, he shows it in an upside-down way to come to earth as human, put on flesh in the incarnation, which is what we celebrate at Christmas time. And we see him abandoned, denied, arguably even cursed by his closest friends. And so it's just staggering that the Almighty God experienced that kind of suffering uh, at, the, at, the, at the very hands of the people who, whose breath in their lungs are flowing from him, like in whose existence he is sustaining while they are inflicting this suffering on him. And the second thing, I hope we'll see ourselves in this story as, frankly, the bad guys. We'll see, we'll see ourselves misunderstanding and judging Jesus the way the Sanhedrin does. We'll see ourselves in Peter denying Jesus. So it's not exactly a chicken soup for the soul kind of Sunday, but I hope we can see that the comfort in that we're following a king who suffers, who knows our weakness, who knows the struggles, knows pain uh, and suffering, and that we'll also be able to see ourselves be, let the Holy Spirit draw us to repentance, to conviction. So let's dive in. Jesus was arrested in a dark, quiet garden in the night, in the middle of the night, which wasn't necessarily the uh, right way to do it legally, and then he was drawn, not taken to an official court, and the temple to be tried for the grievances against them, but to the house of, a high, of the high priest. And they just kind of put on trial this whole mob of, of tragic iron, verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest and the chief priests and elders and teachers of the law and came together. Peter followed at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many falsely testified against him, but their statements did not even agree. This is just like really a sad moment. You know, uh, this mob is guilty of breaking all kinds of, of, of its own laws. Like they are the rulers, like the, the enforcers of the laws, and they are breaking 
the laws uh, that they are supposed to be enforcing. And even with the sentence, they were looking for evidence against Jesus. Like, you're supposed to have that before you arrest someone and bring, and bring them in. You know, they arrest them. Like, oh, I guess we need some evidence now. And in, in their world, uh, there was the, the Torah, uh, God's law, the divine law given in the Old Testament um, in, the, in, uh, in, in the scriptures. And then there was the Mishnah, which were extra biblical laws and guidelines that have been developed over the years in theory to try to help Israel live out the Torah. Uh, and then the Mishnah was very specific. I think there's like 613 like official ones in the scriptures from God. And then I think there was over, almost 2,000, over 1,500 in the Mishnah. And the Mishnah has very specific instructions on how someone should be put to trial. First, it should happen in a particular room of the temple. is the, the room or the court of hewn stones. And it should happen in daytime. <clears throat> and the official procedure should follow a pattern that for every reason that you give for convicting someone of the crime uh, or condemning them of a crime, the, the accuser was required by the Mishnah to also give a reason why they should be acquitted. The interesting legal practice or whatever, but it's trying to like, you know, prevent the snowball effect, cause at least on some level of like, you know, mental dissonance, cognitive dissonance, that you have to look at both sides of uh, the, the argument. And in cases where there were capital offense, which gosh, they're not doing here. That's the point of bringing that up. They're not doing here with Jesus. And in the case of capital offenses, like where death was the potential punishment, the mission required that there be a second trial the next day. Uh, giving everyone a chance to kind of cool off, sleep on it, pray about it. And so question, how much of the Mishnah are the professional Mishnah followers obeying? Zero. This is the tragic irony that Jesus is being tried as a guilty man by people who are actively heaping guilt upon themselves by disobeying their own laws. Not to mention breaking the ninth commandment, that thou shalt not bear false testimony. Jesus, the guiltless, sinless Son of God, being accused by guilty sinners, being lied about, slandered, misunderstood. This passage we're looking at today is another market sandwich, a literary device. There's three sandwiches in chapter 14, where the two stories, kind of two ideas, are, are uh, sandwiched together. There's one in the middle, and then one is split to be the bread. In verse uh, 54, we have Peter following Jesus in the court of the high priest, and then we have his denial after the, uh, uh, during the trial or after the trial. Jesus' unjust trial is sandwiched between abandonment, only Peter stuck with him, all the other disciples had fled after he was arrested, and then he is the bottom of the piece of the bread is that he was denied and cursed by his closest friend. Behold what happened. To the, the, the only man to walk the earth without sin. Behold what happened to the perfectly loving, sinless, kind, and joyful God-man. This means that Jesus, who is alive, whose spirit lives in your body if you're a Christian, can commiserate with you, can empathize and understand your own experiences of abandonment, betrayal, slander, your own experience of being misunderstood. He knows your pain. He knows what it's like to suffer for doing right. Some of us might need to hear today that even Jesus suffered slander, betrayal, 
not for doing anything wrong. He was the perfect son of God. I know for me when I'm in pain, I turn inward and I ruthlessly try to figure out like, what can I do to make this never happen again? What, what did I do wrong to like cause this to come at me? And, and, and there, there's balance here because that, that's generally I think a good posture, you know, when there's problems that we're not Jesus. We do normally have some percentage of the conflict that we can own. But before we get to that, before we grit our teeth or like look at some hard things in our souls, I think we need to see, see that Jesus knows our pain and feel it with us. We need to feel understood in our pain, safe in Jesus' empathy. That we, even though maybe we could have said something different or done something different or whatever, that we might suffer for doing right. We might suffer because of other people's brokenness. Maybe our parents or close friends abandon us. People we thought would have our backs just can't handle our pain, so they, they just kind of ghost on us and would leave us alone. Or the whole, you know, blame the victim for being the victim thing. Uh, lots of hurtful things can happen when people suffer. The invitation is to see Jesus as suffering, the injustice and relational pain, uh, as an invitation to draw near to him in our pain. And to, to hold it before him and let him comfort us. Practically, the best way I know how to do this is to, is to journal, like with an actual notebook and pen. You know, I, I am getting old, but you know, like not type it out or whatever. You know, it just like actually put it on paper, get it out of your head. You know, write down how mad you are. You know, unfiltered. You know, you don't have to. It, it, this is between you and God. You can just let it rip. You know, He can hold it all. You don't have to. Check yourself. Tell them what happened. Tell them how you feel. And Psalms are full of that. And it always makes me giggle when science catches up to ancient scripture. You know, uh, neuroscience behind pouring out our hearts to God, but when we're journaling in general, and its connection to healing from trauma and stuff it is, is, is unbelievable. Like, uh, even this is like in a secular context where you're just journaling generally, you know, like not actually to God, but uh, neuroscience would say that there's something about it in, in an embodied way getting the ugly out, getting your pain out onto paper, away from you, out of your head, that can bring healing. So how much more so when your journal is, is, a, is a written prayer to the king who, who knows your suffering, who knows what you are going through. Let's talk about Peter and his denial. Verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out to the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow was one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near Peter said, Peter, surely you're one of them. You're a Galilean. They began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. The dark humor of this story is so obvious that it, it almost doesn't seem like we, we gotta name it, but right before this, Peter declares boldly, I'll never follow it. He throws his fellow disciples under the bus. Even if all those jokers fall away, I'll never fall away. I'll even die for you, Jesus. And here he is scared to even acknowledge that he was with Jesus to this little servant girl. 
someone with some power or authority. And when it gets to the third time, <coughs> scholars think his Galilean accent gave him away. That's why they're like, surely you're with him. You're clearly not from Jerusalem. You're up in the north country from Galilee. Uh, he starts to call down curses. He says, I don't even know this man. Now, this is kind of crazy. But the word in the Greek for call down curses is, is, is the kind of verb that needs an object. But in, in the Greek, it's conspicuously missing. Meaning like the, the, the recipient of the action started to get all grammatical on you. Uh, in this case, the curses, like the, the, the recipient or the object of the act of cursing is noticeably not named. So some scholars argue that Mark is implying, without saying, because it's kind of hard to even put on paper, uh, is that Peter is cursing Jesus. He's calling down curses on Jesus as like a bravado way to like really make it clear, like I don't even I don't even know the man, I'll, I'll curse him. That staggering to consider. And almost all scholars agree that Mark's gospel, uh, that Mark the author, got all, most of his material from Peter. If you read about Peter in the Gospels, and if you read his two epistles later in the New Testament, you see that he's like maybe not the most literary guy, <laughs> and, uh, and he's a little little bit hot-handed or whatever, or hot-headed. So you know the idea is like Mark, a younger guy, was like he dictated the, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, in his account to uh, to Mark to write down his gospel account, which means the reason I say that, which means that Peter is conveying a, a recording into the foundational documents of Christianity, what is probably his deepest failure and shame. Put that in there, Mark. Write that down. The Church of Jesus Christ needs to know. This failure needs to know what it did to Jesus. Two things I think we need to see in this passage. First, this shows us a core pattern about being a Jesus follower. That when you experience the gospel, which is to say you experience Jesus, the resurrected Savior, that his love for you that led him to the cross and you receive the Holy Spirit, you truly experience forgiveness, truly experience God's love. It's the deepest parts of our lives, the deepest part of our story, the moments of our lives that we most want to forget or ignore. When those dark, painful parts are touched by God's love, they can redeem to be the thing you want everyone to know about. Because it shows, it declares the power of Jesus. Jesus to redeem evil, the power of forgiveness. It's an incredible paradox. The darkest parts of our story can become, can become the substance of our witness to God's love and goodness. This is the power of the gospel. When it talks about receiving power from on high to be witnesses, we, we can maybe jump to like a track or like a certain like apologetic list of questions. When the idea of being witness is to the idea of a witness is just that they have experienced something, seen, experienced something, and they tell others about it. And 
we see in the gospel, we experience God's love in these dark parts. They set us free. The gospel set us free from our shame, from our weakness. And, and, and then we can hold them out to others and say, yes, even this can be redeemed. Even this can be transformed and healed. That you can be set free from even something like this. The power of the cross, the power of God's love extends to even this deepest thing. It's why I love regeneration ministry that we're doing here. It's a ministry that helps us do the work, uh, that the, our part, the discipleship work, that the part that God has given us to do, that I think every Christian needs to do, where we can allow God to transform those dark parts, allow God to transform the shame, the weakness, the bitterness into his glory and our strength. That's why Regen, in the culture of the regeneration ministry, comes with that, that, that kind of intro. Like if you're not kind of in the Regen world, it feels a little weird where people say, Hi, I'm Josh. I have new life in Christ. Now I'm recovering from pornography, overeating, and loving tasks more than people. Like, whoa, bro, with your introduction, you're going to put all that out there? You know, from, like, from a stage or whatever? But that's the good news of the gospel is that I'm in Christ. So this stuff that I'm recovering from, this stuff that, that I needed God's love to heal is no longer uh, something I need to hide, no longer a shame. That God can redeem even, that God can use me even though I need recovery from this thing. So the first question Peter and I will ask us, asks us is, have you allowed Jesus to meet you? the darkest parts of your story. Allow, have you allowed Jesus to heal the parts you most want to not think about? And the limits test to tell, if you tell you the answer to that question is the degree to which you can talk openly about it, that you don't feel the need you know, to hide. The, the, the degree to which you talk without the fear of what other people will think. The reality is that we can hear the gospel and believe it in our heads, let Jesus into our life to some degree or in some parts, but not into the deepest parts of us. And the second thing I think we need to consider is that Peter is the only one who denied Jesus. It's easy to rag on him because he denied Jesus, but he's the only one who denied Jesus because he's the only one there. He's the only one that followed Jesus close enough to get into the place where he could deny Jesus. Only one willing to follow Jesus into the courtyard of this super sketchy, fly-by-night kind of trial that Jesus was in. None of the other disciples were even close enough to deny him. So yes, what Peter did, pretty, pretty rough, pretty, pretty bad. But to some degree, it's, it's only awful because he was at least trying, trying to stick with Jesus in his trial, in this dark night. Everyone else ghosted and abandoned Jesus. And, and sometimes I think we, we, it's just so easy to beat up on Peter. We can read Peter with a little bit of disdain, thinking like, well, I've never done that. I would never do that or whatever. And it might be because we're not even close enough to Jesus. We don't follow Jesus close enough where we even be in the opportunity, have the opportunity to deny Jesus. Like, no one's ever asked us, like, aren't you with Jesus? Or there's something going on, there's something different in how you talk. You must have something going on with Jesus. 
Aren't you one of those Jesus people? You don't follow Jesus enough to where the world can notice, where the non-Jesus followers could ever be offended or have anything uh, against us. So we might come to church sometimes, get the verse of the day on our phones, but we, we just are caught up in kids and grandkids and careers and the Buckeyes and our money to where we pretty much look the same and talk the same as people who don't know Jesus. And so we might not deny Jesus with our words, but we deny him with our lives. Now, Jesus said one thing in our passage today. Look at verse 62. Or I guess we'll start at 61. The high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, coming on a cloud, coming on the clouds of the heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Jesus is silent while the, the mob is contradicting themselves and trying to find evidence and saying all kinds of crazy things. He's not trying to like point out the lies or anything. But Jesus does answer one question. Are you the Messiah? He says, I am. And then he alludes the two Old Testament passages. says the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, he's referring to a keystone prophecy from the book of Daniel in chapter 7, and he's alluding to Psalm 110, where he says uh, at the right, that the, the righteous one is at the right hand of the mighty one. What Jesus is communicating by claiming to be the Messiah, and that the Son of Man, the right hand of God, coming on the earth, or uh, coming on the clouds of heaven, is that he is the judge. I love this. It's like so, it's so like uh, subtle in how he's like directly uh, flying in the face of these people who are judging him. He's like, no, I am the Messiah, and someday I will come on the clouds of heaven to judge the earth. In Daniel 7, the Son of Man comes from the throne of God on the clouds of heaven to judge the earth. And the clouds of heaven are not just normal clouds, like just a bunch of, of water vapor. In Daniel 7, the clouds of heaven are the Shekinah glory of God, the very presence of the Mighty One, the Almighty God. Jesus is saying, yes, I'm the Messiah, and I will come in the very glory of the Almighty God to judge all the, all the world. Jesus could have said a lot of things. He could have chosen a lot of biblical themes to describe who he is and what he's come to do. But by alluding to these two Old Testament passages, He's showing us another angle of this tragic moment that the judge of the world is being judged by the world. That he should be on the judgment seat in the world, these religious rulers, you and me, should be in the chains, should be chained and on the stand and being tried. It's all upside down. But this is how Jesus works. This is what makes Jesus and his kingdom so amazing, the upside down reality. And the good news of the gospel is that the righteous holy judge of all the earth came in humility and stood as an innocent man in the place of the guilty. This is the king's cross. 
This is the kind of king who has all authority that we are called to follow. This is how Peter can put his deepest shame into the timeless, inerrant word of God. The pages of scripture. This is how all the other disciples, who in this moment were too scared to even get close enough to deny Jesus, would go on and serve Jesus in their whole lives, most of them dying for Jesus. Because when you see the innocent Son of God standing in the place of the guilty, receiving the punishment that we all deserve for our guilt and shame, it changes everything. It sets us on fire. He goes to the cross to die for my sin, for your sin, for the things that I've done, things that I have failed to do. To pay the penalty for the sins that you've done and the things that you've failed to do. This is how we can say I have new life in Christ. Because Jesus died and rose again to new life. He gives us that gift. My sin, my shame, my old person is nailed to the cross. So that sin and shame from that old person doesn't hold any power anymore. Now I'm new. <clears throat> now I can say I'm recovering for, from pornography. I'm recovering from being a judgmental church person. I'm re recovering from being a frantic busybody or, or whatever it is. Come recovering from being a passive coward, someone who loves my comfort more than my neighbors. We can say things like that freely because it doesn't hold any cause or any power over us. Are you all right? <laughs> Something is afoot. We get to shut down. I'm almost done. That's what you need to Pay no attention to the screen. Well, to what degree has the fact that Jesus, your judge, taking your guilt has that say? To what degree do, do you live with freedom from guilt? To put a finer point on it, to, to what degree you shoulds and oughts define what you do. I should be doing this. I should be doing more. I should be fulfilling the blame. That, that, that's the language of guilt. The feeling like I'm not okay and I need to do something to make myself okay. To what degree have you experienced new life in Christ where now your, weak, your, your most shameful weakness is now the thing that you can testify to God's goodness and strength. And the beautiful thing I, I think I see about being a pastor is that God just loves to be extravagant with invitations of, of renewal, of, of coming, returning and coming back to him uh, over and over again. And I think today God may be inviting some of us to see this good news, to get this good news that the innocent son of God stood in the place of my guilt and your guilt. Inviting you to see that church involvement does not make you new or heal your shame. Uh, and that there's work to do that, that we all need to do in our souls to allow the depth of God's redemption more uh, further into our story. And so if that's you, I just want to invite you to come forward for prayer after after our gathering wraps up and we're dismissed. Don't, don't walk away without letting God have a moment with you. And if you don't want anyone to pray with you, you maybe just come forward and have a moment uh, by yourself. Don't leave the room without holding before God what you need Him to redeem. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's what? Freedom. And the cry of my heart is that our church family be a place where many of us stand up and say, I have a new life in Christ. I'm free. And with Peter, we'd be free from shame. Uh, 
um, and allow our weakness to glorify God and, and allow our, our testimony to be used by God's Spirit to invite more and more people uh, into uh, the life and into life of God under His rule in the kingdom. One of the sweetest moments of ministry was <clears throat> a baptism Sunday at a couple churches ago, and I was uh, at that church. I was in charge of the, the hospitality team, so the, the gathering was going on, and I was kind of in the hallway with, with some of the volunteers and stuff. And, and someone was baptized, and uh, at that church we would read testimonies. Uh, before the person was baptized. Like, this is who it was before Jesus. This is how I met Jesus. This is how my life has changed after meeting Jesus. And this guy, the guy getting baptized this particular Sunday, uh, had a long story with pornography and sexual sin. That was part of his testimony that he was being freaked out. And as soon as he came up out of the water, I'm in the back, and, and some guy, this guy that we, he was like a baby daddy of someone in the church that we had been like caring for was this messy situation. And uh, he, he would kind of come and go. It was real weird to work with. And he bursts out of the door and is like, I need to get saved. <laughs> he just like, what do I do? What do I do? How do I get that? How do I get free from that? It was like the, the, you know, one of those moments you just like remember in ministry for, for the rest of your life where someone just hears an invitation the power of redemption available in the gospel. It's like, I need it. And it was because someone was willing to stand uh, in front of a church and, you know, work you know, work out shorts and a t-shirt and get wet in front of a whole people and have their deepest shame be read to the congregation and testify to God's redeeming power. Would, would, would God do that more and more here in our church family? tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.